Okay, today we will be discussing cryptocurrencies、uh, on a kind of in a casual way, and we'll mainly be looking at Bitcoin and Ethereum. And so the context right now is it's January sixteen, twenty twenty one. So Bitcoin is at thirty six thousand dollars, and Ethereum's at twelve hundred dollars, and And the Bitcoin market cap is six hundred seventy-four billion, and Ethereum is one hundred forty billion. Um. Yeah, so we're just gonna, I guess, discuss general features of these、uh, cryptocurrencies and talk. Yeah, kind of talk about what they are and and how they compare to other currencies or other stores of value, maybe. Other I think, yeah, I think one general thing to start with is Bitcoin.、Uh, I was just reading about、um, like the liquidity, and the liquidity is super low, and the amount of lost Bitcoins is is kind of crazy.、Um, <laughs> so, like the estimate I saw of like actual circulating、uh, the market cap of the Of bitcoins that are even accessible to humans was like was like less than two hundred billion.、Uh, right but, now, yeah. Wow. But、so、while, like... the, while the overall is six hundred seventy four billion, but yeah, I, I don't know if that's a good estimate. And yeah, I, I didn't look into the details too much, but it's something like uh in in either case, you know, uh much less than the overall. Market cap is not actually liquid,、mm-hmm. and this also explains, I think, like the crazy jumps in prices、uh, that Bitcoin has always had.、Uh, it makes sense if, yeah, the、uh, liquidity is so so small that like、uh, basically smaller、um, amounts of transactions can really drive the prices uh, uh, like crazy. Hmm. Yeah, well, I think that it would be useful to look at that source. That seems like a pretty high estimate to me on the amount of lost bitcoins, essentially, or like forbidden bitcoins. But I could see it being around maybe like thirty percent of the market cap, which is still、oh, pretty large. But yeah, I I do think it's larger than that. But yeah,、uh, we're, yeah, we're not clear on the details. But yeah, yeah, like the famous example is like the original. You know, the original wallet is lost. It, it seems like like oh yes,、uh, Satoshi Nakamoto's wallet. It apparently yeah,、uh, right. yeah, just hasn't been used since like two thousand nine or something. And we know this for a fact because it's there on the blockchain. You can look at it. <laughs> yeah, along with it, yeah every other one. So yeah, if it, you know, so for whoever does the analysis, uh. I would imagine it's pretty, you know, straightforward to see、uh, how liquid the Bitcoin are. 
Yeah. There are some assumptions that have to go in there where it's just like, how do you count a wallet as lost or not? Yeah, but yeah, you'd have to make some assumptions. Right. Yeah. So but is if it someone that's just used, holding it for a while, yeah. then does that really count? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah, we'll have to we'd have to look at those assumptions. I'm assuming they're pretty good. But I feel like, you know, if it hasn't been used since twenty eleven, that's I feel like you know, if there haven't been any transactions, that seems like a feel like it's probably lost you know and since 2011 sure but there weren't that many wallets back then so that couldn't really account for much i wonder yeah unless we're talking about a few wallets that had like massive amounts of bitcoins that have just never been used i think this is more a case of like there being lots of wallets with small amounts of bitcoins that just seem to be dead yeah um but yeah, this would be something <laughs> I don't actually know much about this off the top of my head. I think there yeah. is actually a mechanism in the protocol to deal with uh, Bitcoins that are inaccessible. But I don't actually know how that works. Oh, I haven't. I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. That. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard of that working. Like, there's a news story recently about someone who lost a wallet with hundred uh, with two hundred twenty million dollars in Bitcoin, and he's trying to get his city to like uh, open up the landfill that it might be in. <laughs> <laughs> and he said he says he'll donate like ten you know, percent of the Bitcoin to the city <laughs> huh? if they get it. Yeah. You know. Wow, that's a very but, funny story, and it seems but, like yeah. it could happen. <laughs> Oh no, it's there's no way it's gonna happen. <laughs> like Really? There's no just because there's no guarantee that they'll even find it and Well he's... right, he has to put the money up front or something. Oh yeah, he can't he can't put up twenty two million up front. Okay. I don't think I don't think he's a wealthy person. I think he just oh. randomly got Bitcoin a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, the sort of regret you'd have to have with that situation. Oh, and I think there's like a ton of people that are like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, especially from the earlier days, but even now, because it's so easy to lose, right? I mean, this is the funny thing about one funny thing about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. You know, like libertarians are like, "Oh, this is so. This is just such a scare way to store your wealth," but really, it's like the least insecure way to store your wealth your money is way more secure if it's in a like a federally insured bank account than it is in like a random hard drive well i think this i mean it depends on what you mean by secure if you mean in terms of uh being able to access your bitcoins without uh being interfered with i think that it's much easier to do that with a usb than it is with your bank uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, so I mean, that's kind of, I think, what has misled people. Uh, I think, you know, secure, just, you know, if if you take it holistically, then um, I think uh, just the traditional bank accounts are m much more secure. It's just like if you're, um, 
Well, I don't, uh, think, yeah. I don't think that's what people typically mean by secure. Like when people say that a lock is secure, they don't mean that it's not hard to lose the key. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm putting in more than security, but I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought I would, I thought it would be called security, but whatever that feature is where <laughs> your money, you, uh, you, you have reliable access to your money, uh, that is lacking with Bitcoin now, unless your Bitcoin is in like coin base or like, you know, something that's basically a traditional bank. Yeah, yeah. Right, so you definitely can do that. But sort okay, of the... okay, it is okay, maybe it is security, uh, but maybe a different kind of security, you know? Like when you say your money is secure, part of that is you mean like it's not going to come to harm and you're not going to lose it. Uh so like storing cash in your house isn't very secure because people could rob it or your house could burn down, you know? Mm-hmm. There's that idea of security too. And Bitcoin is very insecure under that idea i think so i think that uh the way to put it is that there's just a different dimension to how uh bitcoin and similar cryptocurrencies relates to security because right it it isn't really measurable along the typical uh things for example if you make so the problem in these sorts of cases i think that you're talking about is people have a bitcoin wallet and they have to have their uh, private key to be able to access this wallet and to um, certify that funds are being transferred to it, or sorry, uh, to transfer funds from it. So basically ever to access your funds. But if you lose that key and you lose the only version of it that you had, then there is no other way to access it. There's no fail safe that you can go to like uh, confirm your email to get back the key. <laughs> but there are ways to do it uh, without having a risk of losing the key very highly. So you can store your uh, password and your key in different places and have multiple copies of them, just like you would with any other password system, right? Yeah, although that's not yeah super um, reliable So then the security either. is dependent upon how you store it. It's not really the Bitcoin itself is secure or not. It's how you're storing the the way to to certify who you are yeah but yeah just like based on how people act even relying on that is not very good like with a bank account it doesn't rely on even that because even if you lose all your passwords you can like go to the go to your bank and like bring your passport and id and stuff like that and recover your account but with bitcoin if you lose the key um even you know, even if you store your key in a bunch of places, you can still lose it. And if you lose it, that's that's the end. Uh, right. Yes. And I think though it is kind of funny. That, that's what I'm trying to say about it being a different dimension of security. Because on the one hand, it's very secure because that means that no one could really impersonate you. There's like very few ways to impersonate you and steal your money. Whereas with a bank, if they like steal your passport and your identity, then they can take your money, right? <laughs> so that's a dimension of security that is uh, available to Bitcoin, but not available to having your funds stored in a bank. 
Yeah, although I, I would say that's also pretty unlikely. Like you can, <laughs> even, even when people steal steal your identity, usually you can, if you can, you can kind of prove that that happened or prove that someone else accessed your stuff. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely an an element uh, where Bitcoin is, you know, the most secure, uh, or way more secure. Yeah, but I I think I mean I think this this has just misled people like this really kind of specific form of security has misled people into thinking it's like a very secure way for them to store their wealth, uh-huh. and I I think that's just ha- that just hasn't been true uh, so far. Yeah, hmm. I I think you are right that it misleads people because they don't accurately estimate the sort of work you need to do to make sure that you're doing it in a uh, safe way i guess or a secure way maybe even would be the appropriate word here you're uh, uh, mm-hmm. storing your password in redundant places that are also secure and s- such things like this but most people aren't aware of this going in because that's not the like popular aspect of bitcoin is how to manage your keys um so people don't hear about that as much and then they end up in these situations where they're trying to dig out their key from their genes that they left in the landfill. <laughs> or you can, yeah, w- with like a wallet, you could store your stuff in the cloud, but then you're trusting a lot of other things that these, you know, extremist libertarians don't, like they don't, they definitely don't. Well, uh, if you don't trust, you know, the federal government or your fiat currency, then it's likely you don't trust Google either. So, I, I mean, the more par- yeah paranoid you are, the fewer options you have to um, reliably keep your keys. Uh, hmm. I don't know. I don't think it's that hard to hide keys if you really wanted to. I, I think if you're just relying on yourself, it's just there's always um a lot of insecurity that comes from that. Um, even your even you are you know the physical person are 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 a flaw uh, in the security system. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you are the only person that memorized your key or something, then right. If you die, the, then no one else can access that wallet. Yeah. Or if someone like extorts it out of you, or or you know tortures it out of you, uh, they can get your keys. Oh, in a way where sure. yeah, in a way that it's harder to do if you have your money in like an investment account, then uh, yeah, you can't just give away all of your money just by telling someone the password. Um, well, I mean, if they're at the point where they're allowed to torture you, capture you, get you to say whatever, I think they're going to be able to get you to like log into your bank and transfer your money. <laughs> Oh no, that 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 wouldn't work at all. Um, I mean, first of all, yeah. I mean, if the, I mean, maybe with like a few thousand dollars, it would work. But with any substantial amount of money, it would be flagged as suspicious if it wasn't the kind of transaction you you normally make. If it was going to a random person, and I mean, yeah, while the, tra- it it would take time for the transaction to finalize, and they'd probably want to confirm it with you and. Yeah, I, I think for a whole variety of reasons, it, it, yeah, it wouldn't happen 
especially with any substantial amount of money. Um, all, yeah, also with an investment. Yeah, it's not super liquid, but yeah, with hmm. Bitcoin, you can just transfer massive amounts with none of that. Yeah, that is, I, I don't. Yeah, okay. if you if you had like a billionaire in your room that you could just torture, I I don't know how much I don't know that you could get a lot of money out of him. Even if <laughs> even if the billionaire was totally co- cooperative with you, I right. don't know how much. Yeah, I don't know how much money you could extort out of billionaire because because of everything else that is embedded embedded with his money. So I guess that in this circumstance, the important fact is how the money is being stored. This is a kind of interesting hypothetical. Yeah, if you if you had total access to this person and they were willing to do whatever you wanted them to do, how much money could you steal in, I don't know, a, a limited amount of time, obviously? <laughs> yeah, actually, maybe, it's, you know, you would actually get a lot more money from, like, someone worth less than a million dollars or someone worth a million dollars rather than a billion because you know, the person that's billion would be much more suspicious and much more guarded about how well, money is being spent. Well, even even if the billionaire was totally cooperative, but because of where their money's stored, yeah, and the forms that it's stored in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like guess the, million, the, <laughs> the billionaires might have yeah. What doesn't just have like a pile of cash in their yeah, garage? Exactly. Yeah, and everywhere where they have an investment, they have like. You know, competent professionals that are like, yeah, that um, are taking care of it. Like, mm-hmm. even if, yeah, even a phone call, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if a phone call would be enough to transfer a lot of money. You might have to see them and sign off on things. So, I think mm-hmm. this is where there is a break in the analogy between. Uh, I think we're using Bitcoin as sort of the stand-in here for cryptocurrency. But between Bitcoin and other ways of storing your money, because Bitcoin is meant to be a currency, right? But stocks and other investments are not meant to be a currency. So it's not an accident that they're hard to trade. Although I think cash is the same. Um, Yeah, I mean, cash in a bank account is just as hard or almost as hard to uh, transfer without being noticed, I would say. Over a certain amount, right? Yeah, yeah, over yeah, ten thousand or whatever. Yeah, and on the one hand, right, that is a security issue because then if someone somehow commandeers access to your uh, account, then it limits how much they can take. But on the other hand, it also limits how much you can spend at a time. Uh, yeah, uh, unless like you do some a certain, you know some things like what because uh, we're we're positing that this person will cooperatively do anything you ask them to do right so if they could do any of those things without you asking them to then they should be able to do it when you ask them to well in the premise like you know the billionaire you're you've like captured the billionaire in your room so he's like limited to that room but in real life you can just go to the bank and you know actually sign sign off on things uh, and and meet people, but I mean, if he can force a billionaire to do those things, then of course you have like access to all of his capital. But yeah, well, I think that the question though is like, how much time would this take? It, it would take some time, you know, yeah, to a- access all your money. But 
for cryptocurrency, it's instantaneous. Like it's literally seconds. I mean that, and that's not true now. But in Bitcoin, <laughs> the average is like ten minutes. But yeah. Oh yeah, for it to be finalized, right? But yeah, that's like close to nothing uh, comparatively. Right. Yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, I think that we've discussed the question of security, but this is in a broader scheme of like how useful is Bitcoin and what is it useful for, I think, right? Oh, yeah. And okay, we should talk about, you refer to it as a currency, and I think we've had disagreements on this in the past as well. But I think, I, I don't know if it's, I haven't read the original white paper, but does it say there that it was supposed to be a con- uh, a currency well i think that the technical language it uses is a digital cash okay yeah i yeah so a currency you know i see as something that you use to uh that is traded and is used to purchase goods and and services mm-hmm. um so yeah cash cash is a form of currency and i, I think yeah, if we want to see whether Bitcoin's a currency, we should look at how it's actually used. And I think now you would say that Bitcoin is mostly not a currency. It's mostly uh, almost exclusively a store of value. So I think right now Bitcoin is a lot more like gold than it is like uh, the US dollar. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, oh, yeah I, I would agree with that. Yeah, cryptocurrency is almost... Um, a misnomer or it's like an aspiration I feel like more than the reality oh well okay so in talking about whether or not it's a currency <clears throat> I think it's useful to phrase it as how good of a currency would it be or is it and on that front right it isn't being used as a currency nearly as much as uh, you would expect a currency to be used like the U.S. dollar, for example. It's not really that U.S. dollar bills are the currency, right? It's the U.S. dollar, which can be represented in many different ways. But for Bitcoin, it's supposed to be this uh, digital uh, native asset that can be used as a currency. And it isn't used as a currency very much right now. But the idea would be that it has all of the properties that would make it a good currency if people were to use it. Yeah, and, and I would argue, make the counter-argument that if Bitcoin did have the properties that would make it a good currency, then it would be a good currency. It would be a currency. But So I it think, is yeah. used as a currency to some extent, right? Like, much more than gold is, for example. Yeah, but Bitcoin is, I mean, as we've already agreed, it's overwhelmingly used as a store of value and not as a currency. And And the, you know... The uses of Bitcoin as a currency are extremely limited. Like yeah. it's maybe some uh, black market, you know, goods is like the only yeah major use I know of, and and that's I think that's gone down. And actually, other other yeah other cryptocurrencies are c- coming up. But well, plenty of you know I wouldn't say activists, but uh, enthusiasts they accept donations in uh, cryptocurrencies. So you can uh, fund your favorite creators with crypto. Yeah, I guess that's using it as a currency. 
So yeah. I wouldn't go far as to say that it's totally useless as a currency. I think it's extremely niche though right now, and that limits its acceptance as a general uh, unit of account. Is I would how I would say it. Wait, the fact that it's not you. Wait, so I I think um, uh, Bitcoin isn't used widely as a currency because of technical aspects of it, but. Do you think there's some other aspect that's preventing it from being used as a currency? Uh, yeah, I think adoption. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I th- I think yeah. So we disagree on that. So I think there's been there's you know plenty of people that know how to use it and that have Bitcoin and would use it um, if if it was useful. I mean, they have the option to use it, but it's just not worth it. Um, because of uh, you know things like transaction uh, time. Um, I do agree that the amount of time it takes to finalize a transaction is a hindrance to its being used as currency. Because what you would expect for a currency is that it is usable in short order with people that you don't trust. And uh, basically, there's no way to corrupt the transaction. Well, th- those things are all true of Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but, you're not saying that, that mm-hmm. there's any technical issues with it being used as a currency. I thought you were saying I, that I am people saying aren't that. adopting it because it takes too long to use it that way. Oh, well, it's just like, yeah, um, I don't think there's anything... I don't think currency is like a a feature about certain th- things uh, apart from the uses that uh, the thing is put towards. So, so I think Bitcoin is just what Bitcoin is is what people use it for, and um, yeah, so far uh, Bitcoin is not being used as a currency except in very niche uh, cases. So I think overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, Bitcoin is not a currency. Um, and But I think it's not a currency because it's not used as a currency, not because of some technical feature. But I think it's not being used because of technical features. And the main technical feature you mentioned is the finalization time. I think that's the main one now, yeah. I think there's a bunch of other things but i think all of those are basically like the in- infrastructure things that can be fixed um but you don't think that finalization time could be fixed is that what you're hypothesizing uh, well i i was going to add uh, easily the, the other things can be fixed more straightforwardly hmm. um yeah transaction time has gone it, it used to be like you know 30 minutes or something now it's 10 minutes right um Ethereum's gone the other way. Like, you know, they're, <laughs> it used to be really cheap to transact, and now it's like something like $7 a transaction, which oh, is, right, yeah. that's well, just insane. Yeah. So we're talking about two different things, though, right? That's the transaction fee, and then the other thing is the transaction time, how long it takes to finalize a transaction. So. Yeah, that's Ethereum. Yeah. Uh, it's like $7 a transaction. I yes, guess Bitcoin has a Were you saying something about how much time it takes for Ethereum to finalize a transaction? 
Uh, I think it's not that that long. I, I don't I don't know uh, how much how long Ethereum is, but Bitcoin is is like ten minutes a transaction. Mm-hmm. So on average, yeah. So yeah, th- this is Plus definitely. And then there's also the transaction fee, right? Yeah. So yeah, this is definitely a very popular problem that is discussed uh, among cryptocurrencies. The problem is that uh, it goes down to really how a cryptocurrency works in the first place. And maybe this would be a good time to do a little bit of a technical uh, summary. So without going into too much detail, because there's plenty of better places to look for that. The technology that most of these cryptocurrencies, most of the popular ones like Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, a few others that are many others, is something called blockchain. And blockchain is not something revolutionary or new. It's really just a uh, an application of something that's been done before, but now is done in a decentralized way. The idea is that instead of having a central server uh, that keeps track of how much money everyone has in your Bitcoin system, instead, everyone has their own copy uh, of this server. So everyone has a copy of how much money everyone else has. They don't know who each other are other than their public identifiers. They only know how much money each public identifier has in their account. And then when someone makes a transaction to change uh, how much money is in one account and move it over to another, they have to uh, propagate that transaction to everyone and make sure that, in fact, the funds are all in the correct places. And then everyone updates their ledgers based on the new transaction. So you can see how this would be sort of slow because when you do your transaction, like if I give you a dollar bill, you don't have to like confirm with the U.S. government that now he has one more dollar and I have one less dollar. But on the Bitcoin uh, blockchain, it actually does have to essentially do that. It has to go to everyone on the Bitcoin Bitcoin blockchain, all the miners as they're called, and confirm with them that in fact uh, the funds are in the correct places and then they need to update their ledgers to match. And it doesn't, so that's like the rough idea. It doesn't actually do this for each transaction separately. It combines them into blocks of transaction, hence a blockchain, and then a whole block is processed at a time. And then when a block is processed, then it's said to be, uh, well, processed. And then if enough blocks are processed in front of it, then the latest, no, the earliest block is considered to be finalized. So like basically after enough time has passed of blocks being processed, it's very unlikely that that block will ever change. So um, because this process takes so long, uh, there there isn't just a one-way, one-back transaction with a central server, then you have to wait 10 minutes until you get to that finalization status for your transaction. And this is considered to be a pretty endemic problem to a lot of uh, blockchain implementations because that's really just how blockchain works. Like, <laughs> it would be very stupid to just say, oh, well, instead of verifying with everyone, you just verify with a central server, because then it's not a blockchain anymore. It's just a normal uh, ledger with a central service. So there's been lots of attempts and ideas about how to speed this up. But yeah, so far, uh, for example, Bitcoin is um slightly faster because mostly because of technology not because of some new technique in the blockchain wait because of faster use of what basically faster computers faster miners oh okay 
they're building specialized uh, ASIC <laughs> um, servers that will specifically mine blockchains, or sorry, Bitcoins. Mm-hmm. And they're very quick. So the more of those there are, the faster processing gets done. I think, yeah, I think Ethereum was supposed to be like an alternative way to speed up transaction uh, transactions. Uh, and they I use don't... like gas tokens instead of Ethereum, instead of ETH to uh, pay for transactions, right? Oh, yeah. But... So Ethereum is definitely something interesting to talk about as well, that it has a very similar setup to block, uh, Bitcoin, but has a few differences that are notable um what you're talking about right is that whenever you do a transaction well all the people that are verifying that transaction they're not just doing that work for free they have to get paid so what happens is that a small fraction of your uh transaction gets paid to these miners in terms of uh, uh sorry as a uh transaction fee so um usually it's just called a transaction fee on Ethereum, uh, there is a transaction fee, but there's also something called uh, a sort of computation fee, which is where um, you're not paying for a transaction, you're paying for a computation, because the idea on Ethereum is that you're allowed to write these programs called smart contracts that execute autonomously on the blockchain. And in order for those uh, bl- contracts to be executed, someone needs to do that work. So you have to like fuel it with gas and then the gas gets consumed over time as it runs that program. But the gas is denominated in terms of ETH. Like it's, it's literally just ETH, but they call it gas when it's used this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know too much about the details, but it looked like an interesting alternative at the time. But I, I thought it was interesting that it seems like at ultimately, you know, all these different, uh, cryptocurrencies came up after Bitcoin, but it looks like Bitcoin kind of weirdly is the best uh, right now again. <laughs> yeah. Although for a, for a long time it looked like you know Bitcoin was uh, unusable. I mean, for a long time it was kind of unusable, and it would take forever to do transactions. And things like Ethereum were great, but yeah, yeah. So when it's just like the <laughs> oldest, you know, the the first implementation of the cryptocurrency idea ever is still like. The dominant one for good reason. Mm. So I should say that it isn't the first implementation of what could be called a cryptocurrency. There are earlier uh, projects that never took off, but Bitcoin was significantly different from them. So it's easy enough to just say that Bitcoin is the first real cryptocurrency. The other ones were more like academic projects that uh, had some of the ideas, but none of the implementation details to make it possible as a actual chain. But um, yeah, so there's it's easy enough to like the Bitcoin source code, all the code that is run by every Bitcoin miner in order to follow the protocol is totally open source. You can go download it yourself and look at it. Um, and in fact, many people have done that and then just published the <laughs> the code in a slightly different format as a new blockchain. For example, there's a there's a cryptocurrency called Litecoin, LTC, which is almost exactly a clone of Bitcoin, <laughs> it's like almost exactly the same with some very minor changes. Um, and this chain is, you know, a different chain. It exists independently from Bitcoin. It's highly correlated in terms of its asset price, but uh, 
you can run the Litecoin chain and you can run the Bitcoin chain and they're different. Yeah. But the reason yeah. that people think Bitcoin is uh, more valuable is because there's more people on the Bitcoin chain and therefore it's more secure because it would take more effort to get those people to turn against you and, for example, double spend. Okay. So you don't think it's it has a technical advantage? Um, I don't actually know enough of the details to say. Maybe there is some like weird thing they did that is a technical advantage, but nothing significant enough to uh, you know, <laughs> say much about it. For all intents mm -hmm. and purposes, it's a clone. Um, and then what I was saying also about uh, the finalization time having uh, to be an integral problem with blockchains. So you were saying how Bitcoin it started to become unusable because it would take so much time to finalize a transaction. And one of the reasons that this happens is because uh, the Bitcoin's resources, or sorry, the, the chain's resources are limited in some ways. And they also will become exhausted more quickly the more people are on the chain, which is a totally bad problem. It's like the opposite of a network effect. It's like an inverse network effect. <laughs> the more people are that are on the chain, the more people have to verify their transactions. So it's going to take longer to get it to everyone and to come to a consensus on the chain. Uh, and obviously, this is terrible for something that wants to grow bigger because <laughs> the bigger it grows, the harder it is to grow. Um, and Ethereum works, so Ethereum 1.0, as it's called now, uh, there's soon to be an Ethereum 2.0, but Ethereum 1.0 runs on the exact same sort of uh, system that Bitcoin does for uh, verifying transactions. This system is called Proof-of-Work, and it, I think, takes the same amount of uh, resources per capita, however you want to measure capita, but the Ethereum chain is smaller, so it takes less time, actually, to do that. Okay, but yeah, somewhere in in those technical decisions, they ended up with these massive fees that Bitcoin doesn't have. True, right, yeah. So some of the ways about how Ethereum is architected, uh, the fees end up being higher in certain times. I don't know exactly what that's dependent on. Yeah. I know part part of it is volume, but right, it has yeah. been high volume recently. So that's kind of what can happen is that there's only so many uh, transactions that you can fit into a block. Like a block is of a certain size. So if you can only do so many transactions at a time, then people are going to fight their way into that block, right? To get their transactions done. And the easiest way to get your place in a block is to spend more money on your tra uh, transaction. You pay the miners more and they'll prioritize your transaction. And they're making blocks bigger, right? Well, so <laughs> this is also another thing that is discussed a lot is what should the block size be? Should it be the same as, you know, the, the God priest uh, Nakamoto <laughs> decided when Bitcoin was Genesis uh, who knows? But people have taken different tacks with it, and there has been forks of Bitcoin. Uh, for example, Bitcoin Cash is a fork of Bitcoin that doubled the block size, and that was their main idea. What's the disadvantage of increasing block size? So the disadvantage of increasing the block size is that it increases time to get finality to your transaction, 
because now it takes more time to go through a block. So uh, you still need the same number of blocks to pass before it's finalized. And also it becomes uh, more centralized in terms of the mining pool. For example, uh, in order to mine a block, which is like the smallest unit that you can mine, now you need a twice as beefy a computer in order to do it. Or at least you know, in terms of processing power to mine through this block in time. Because the the sort of game theoretic setup that's happening on the miner side is that they're trying to mine the blocks as quickly as possible in order to get their blocks into the final chain. But if they don't mine it quick enough, then the block will already have been completed by the rest of the chain, so it doesn't need them to contribute. And then they just don't get anything out of it. Oh, okay. Wait, so to larger blocks, does that mean faster transaction times, but slower finalizing times? Yeah. Okay. And so, and then, but it seems like kind of a natural that you would scale up the, um, the size of the blocks then. Um, since uh you since we're getting uh more miners and more professional miners as time goes on and as bitcoin increases in value right uh actually i'm thinking about it again i'm not quite sure if that's correct if the finalization time went up i think that's true for some things i'm not sure if that's exactly true just for this change though so maybe I'm I'm not sure about that. So let me take that back. I'm not sure if it increases finality time, but it definitely decreases transaction time. So Bitcoin Cash is much quicker to transfer. I'm not sure what the time is offhand, but it's faster than ten minutes for sure. It's like probably a matter of a minute or so. But mm-hmm. uh, right. So um, wouldn't we naturally increase block size because there's more of these professional miners? Well, there's a whole debate about this, and uh, it's probably not worth going into too much detail, but basically the argument against it is that we don't want it to just be professional miners that are doing this. We want it to be available to um, a more uh, distributed base of miners. Yeah, okay. I mean, we already have all the miners in China now, so... Right, so it's <laughs> well, already well a give it to the communists. <laughs> Yeah, so you can see that as an argument for or against, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if you have enough of the miners under your control, you can do basically whatever you want with Bitcoin, right? Right. So this is the famous 51% attack, right? Is that if you control 51% of the miners, at least, then you control the blockchain because you get the majority vote every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how you would also make improvements uh, through a more, uh, if you can convince half the miners to uh, adopt your change. Oh, the right. Blockchain. Yeah. For anything to change, you need 51% at least to agree on it. Uh, but usually, in order for to get 51% to agree, it needs to be something that's like in the best interest of everyone on the chain, or at least the majority of people. But, or maybe. Maybe that's just a tautology because if you own 51%, then you are the majority. Yeah, so you could screw over the other people much easier if it's just one person that owns 51%. Because mm-hmm. usually if, if it's just a normal 51% vote, 
then it's not the same 51% of people voting in the same way each time. It's a, it's a random assortment. So it's not going to be as if it was one person just making all the decisions. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Although even, yeah, even the fact that it's minors, I I mean, it, it seems like the governance process hasn't really worked out too well. Uh, <laughs> even though it's not really, it's, it is still, um, it hasn't been taken over by the Chinese government or anything like that. Yeah, it is. I think that's one of the things that is most commonly um, exemplified about Bitcoin is how resilient it has been to every attempt ever to hack it. It's it's never been disrupted from its original specification. Uh, there have been improvements. For example, there is a development team called like the Bitcoin development team that will write code for Bitcoin. But the, when they write the code, it doesn't just get automatically deployed to everyone. Everyone has to agree to accept that code. And if they decide not to accept it, then they don't have to. There's no requirement for them to do that. But obviously, if 51% of people accept it, then they can make it the new standard. And then if people don't accept it, then they have to fork it and go into their own chain, which is usually worthless. Okay, so are there um, are there changes still widely adopted or adopted at all? Yeah, they're not very common, but there are periodic changes. Okay, and they disagreed with the Bitcoin Cash changes then? Right, yeah. I, okay. I mean, it wasn't just them, but yeah, they didn't implement that into Bitcoin and propose it. Okay, interesting. Because even if they wanted to, they couldn't necessarily get it to happen. So I'm not really sure what their... I, oh, I don't okay. really follow the development team that much, but I'm not sure what their opinions are exactly. Yeah, even okay, even if it was the right technical choice, they couldn't do it politically. Maybe, yeah. It doesn't seem like... So Bitcoin Cash, uh, I forget when that happened. I think it was like 2017 when Bitcoin Cash created. But yeah, it forked off of Bitcoin. And it's worth something like, I don't know, maybe we can check that. <laughs> Bitcoin Cash right now is worth $500 about. And Bitcoin is worth 36000 <laughs> So when they forked, in theory, they should be worth the same uh, right as they fork. Because they're the same asset. And then once they become different assets, uh, that's what's happened since. <laughs> yeah. No one expected it to be as uh, as valuable as Bitcoin, so there is that, but um, it, it's not proven to be anything over the years anyway. Yeah, but for uh, like political reasons, right? Not not technical inferiority. Um, yeah, I wonder. I don't know. I I don't really have a good opinion on the whole block size debate <laughs> i think that it's the wrong personally i think it's the wrong thing to argue about i think that there's other technological changes that are much more effective oh okay like I for example so. oh mm -hmm. sorry yeah go ahead uh you were talking about ethereum and you're saying it as if they had this other mechanism to make transactions faster or something like this i don't think they do they, they have basically the same setup but their Ethereum 2.0 does have something that is being tried that's new and different. And like it's proof of stake. 
Right. Yeah. So instead of proof of work, which I think it's almost like pretty common knowledge now that how that works with blockchain or with uh, Bitcoin, it's like people's computers in order to mine are just solving hard math problems or a specific hard math problem. And that's how uh, you make it a scarce resource to make Bitcoins. But for proof of stake, um, instead of having to spend all this processing power and time doing that, instead, there's this other process that has to do with uh, trading information with each other and certifying that you own a certain amount of assets and then you get paid based on how many assets you have. Yeah. I Yeah, I wonder how that'll go. I, I've been hearing about that for a while, but it seems like it, there hasn't been like a good implementation yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm not aware actually of a blockchain that does that. I know of a few that are planning to transition to that. <laughs> yeah, because proof of work isn't really a problem with the blockchain, right? Like most of the arguments against it are just that it's i mean it's it's like a gigantic waste uh, of resources uh, uh like the amount of energy and and computing that goes into uh maintaining the blockchain is massive but right. that that's not really a problem with um like bitcoin uh like with like the actual with its security or anything like that right yeah it doesn't necessarily have to be proof of work it was basically like the easiest <laughs> implementation and i doubt that satoshi ever thought that <laughs> it would get to this level <laughs> really but wouldn't you like expect that if uh if you thought bitcoin would get large uh well i i doubt that he thought it would get large <laughs> even if he thought it was his best try and it was the best availability out there it still seems like an unlikely bet. <laughs> huh. It's a, that, would, that would be interesting. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, who knows what he was right. thinking. But yeah, like these, I think a lot of th people in that early community, you know, they're, they're like super libertarian types that, that um, thought of Bitcoin as potentially like a global currency. To it like, definitely was yeah, the plan, yeah. Replace the dollar. <laughs> But yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, proof of stake. I would imagine that um, proof of work was the best they had, and so we still don't have good alternatives that have actually been implemented. Yeah, that. So the thing about proof of stake is that it isn't actually that complicated. It's I, I probably wouldn't be able to describe it very well right now, but it's not a huge leap of technology. The thing about it is that it's very hard to verify that it's going to work correctly because it opens up a lot of new attack vectors, essentially, where you can game the system in some political way in order to gain an advantage. Whereas with proof of work, it's very easy to show that it's just a mathematical property that <laughs> it's this hard to do this thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's taking so long with proof of stake. Huh. I I guess yeah, yeah. Those advantages would go to just people with larger wallets, right? In some cases. Well, 
So the thing about mining and staking is that, well, by definition, it is done on a personal level. <clears throat> In practice, it isn't usually done at a personal level. There's these things called mining pools. And how mining pools work is that uh, when you're mining individually, there's a chance that you get a reward and a chance that you don't. And it's very irregular, right? It's just totally random. Um, so if you're just mining on your own, then you are not getting a consistent income. But if you pool with a lot of other miners and you do, you set up some sort of protocol so that uh, whenever you mine something, you put it into this sort of uh, pot. And everyone does this when they get a reward. And then every interval, uh, people are paid out a equal share from this pot. So it makes it so that the income you're getting from mining is smoothed out, essentially. It's the exact same that you would get on average from mining on your own. But since you're doing it in a pool, then it smooths it out over time. And you can do a similar sort of thing with staking, where you have staking pools. So you can actually stake with a very small amount of money, and that's just fine. But you'll want to do this in a staking pool, most likely, rather than on your own. Okay. Uh, so you're kind of yeah In yeah okay I haven't looked into it much but it sounds interesting I, I hope uh, Ethereum figures it out that would be <laughs> very cool yeah I think uh, that they're mm -hmm. on their way they have done a ton of work on this and it seems like they're close to the Ethereum 2.0 yeah, and they have the advantage that the founder is alive and well. <laughs> and publicly known. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If Satoshi came back from that, I'm sure he could implement some, get people to vote for <laughs> some big change. Yeah, I wonder if anyone would <laughs> believe him. Probably not. There's so many people <laughs> that have claimed to be him. He would just have to come down and he'd have to like, you know, get into some large public place and then enter the passcode to his wallet and <laughs> transfer it to someone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he would he would have to do that. But I want yeah, I wonder if that would even be enough. Or <laughs> or what if he lost his uh, his key? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what if he's the one who lost it in the in the landfill? <laughs> <laughs> Gonna be crazy if if that wallet becomes the most valuable, like entity on Earth, <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty hilarious. Yeah, it's already yeah. I think it's already worth I think tens of billions. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about the scam. A oh right. Bit. Here, just one last thing though. Um, another technique that is it's like an interesting sort of like these are the sorts of ways you go about solving the scalability problem as it's called which is how do you get the blockchain to work even when it gets bigger uh efficiently and another problem or another technique that for the ethereum foundation actually is big on this one as well is something called sharding and how sharding works is that instead of having the entire blockchain verify every transaction Instead, you randomly choose a subset of the network and have them verify it. And you make sure that there's no way to predict 
the selection of people that are going to be chosen for this uh, verification. And as long as you can do that in a totally unpredictable way, there's no way to game it by like making sure that you're always in a certain selection and then like voting on that transaction being first or something. So if you can do this uh, uh, securely, safely, then it sort of makes it so that you only need to act as if your chain is as big as these shards are, these uh, selections that are chosen at random. Okay. Um, where has this been implemented? So I think that it's been implemented on the Ethereum testnet, which is like a prototypical net that is not actually of value. Um, and it works to some extent, but most of the work is to be verifying that it works correctly. Mm. But it is possible, and it's being explored by major projects. Including Ethereum. Cool. And also, I think there's another one that you might run into by looking at these sorts of things called Cardano. Okay. I haven't heard of it. They're interesting because they're based in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what have we talked about so far? We've introduced some of the problems with uh, cryptocurrencies, whether they're... Uh, and um, how they work at some level. Yeah. Should, should we talk about the article? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just before uh, recording, we were talking about an article I'd found that, that's, that was going around uh, cryptocurrency Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was alleging that Tether which is uh, a cryptocurrency that's tethered to the U.S. dollar. Uh, at least that's the intention. Um, the allegation was that um, the foundation or corporation that runs Tether was basically running a scam and uh, trying to uh, yeah, inflate basically gather um, as much money as possible by um, selling Tether to uh, different uh, cryptocurrency exchanges and getting back dollars. I guess the guarantee that the corporation was giving is that they would keep a dollar um, in reserve for every Tether that they sold. And... uh, Tether's been around for a while, and and it was found out that they didn't have nearly no, nearly enough money um, to back up the tether dollar for dollar. Uh, and then it was found out that they actually owned. For, so for many years, um, they were asked if they owned uh, Bitfinex, like a cryptocurrency exchange, because <laughs> that would be very sketchy if they did. And I guess there was some evidence that they did and they denied it. And then in the paradise papers in like uh, 2018 or whatever, it, it was found out that, yeah, they own Bitfinex, a cryptocurrency exchange after they denied it. Yep. Um, yeah. 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 I guess generally just a lot of sketchy things associated with Tether. Oh, and the crazy part, craziest part was like Tether recently is responsible for like the vast majority of transactions uh 
into and out of Bitcoin and Ethereum and all these other major cryptocurrencies. Right. Yes. Yeah. On uh, on the total network. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they're not on like Coinbase and really um, American <laughs> business. Yeah, really established uh, corporations don't deal with them. Yeah, and other businesses probably won't be for long. It seems. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, the so the premise of Tether, right? As you said, is that every Tether, or as they call it, USDT or USDT USD token is um, backed by a dollar that they have in reserve. And the allegation is that they actually are giving out more tethers than they have dollars in reserve. And the way they're able to get uh, uh, they're able to get away with that is that no one cares to try to convert the tethers back to dollars. Yeah, but apparently, yeah, the evidence was clear after um, people gained access to their it was like Cayman Islands bank account that uh, they couldn't. Yeah, they had like at most seven hundred million. Um, and they needed, yeah, over a billion. Wait, was it the Cayman Islands or was it the Bahamas? <laughs> I don't know the difference. Okay. <laughs> oh, are they the same place? Is that just another name for it? Uh, I, I, I actually don't, I, I don't. I mean, I literally don't. I don't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> One of those uh, offshore bank bank havens. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. So it's just. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's just been proven. It been shown that um, they don't have enough to back it up one dollar for dollar, which like that in itself isn't a problem, but uh, it's obviously a problem because they've you know lied about it. But right, uh, like fractional reserve banking. I, I mean, that's totally normal. That's that's every bank in the world. Um, yeah. So if they it, were upfront about this, it probably wouldn't be much of a problem. Uh yeah, I don't it it might be a little it's not it's very different from the way it's normally done and I think people would be much more skeptical about Tether if they had known that they didn't back up all, all of their money and oh, maybe sure. they Tether wouldn't have yeah, it wouldn't be as widely adopted anyways. Um be, because it is much more unstable uh uh, you know the cryptocurrency environment's very volatile and all that, and people could uh, withdraw all their money suddenly, and there's no, yeah, federal guarantees or anything like that. I think also that it was kind of interesting, um, or not really interesting, but funny. So the way that it, this article exposed that Tether didn't have enough uh, dollars in reserve. Is not that they were able to go request an audit from the bank to see their uh, account, right? They just looked at the total amount of foreign currency that was being stored in that bank, <laughs> and it wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was in like the entire country, right? From <laughs> right, yeah. At their government, yeah, and that was like seven hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> like you could have at least tried to hide it, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I, yeah, I wondered. It didn't say anything about, you know, what a actual estimate was like. You know, it, it's like between zero and seven hundred billion. <laughs> but yeah, who knows? Yeah. 
Um, but, um, <clears throat> right, so there's a few worrying things about this situation. The first is that a lot of people holding tethers might not actually have any value at all. They're just totally uh, ethereal. Not other, but ethereal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is a problem because now lots of people holding crypto are going to lose money or people that bought other uh or sorry that sold crypto for tether are going to lose money um yeah expecting it to be a although, safe haven. although like right now it does have value you know technically like you can you can trade it on exchange oh, yeah, yeah. for a dollar yeah but yeah in the future it might not so that's kind of the funny thing about how does tether work at all right because they don't control every tether coin it just like goes out into the world and then they have to make sure that it's worth a dollar and the way that they make sure that it's worth a dollar is that they're always willing to give you a, a tether for a dollar or to buy a tether for a dollar so <laughs> at any point you can go to tether or in particular you go to an exchange that has a tether us dollar pair and you can sell tethers for dollars and if at any point you were able to sell tethers for less than one U.S. dollar, then all of a sudden uh, U.S. Uh, dollars are worth more than tethers, so it's not worth a dollar anymore. So they have to like keep very close track of where tethers are being sold and make sure that they can match everything up to a dollar. Yeah. And, and it turns they... out, <laughs> and this article yeah. is also interestingly exposing, that there's only like one exchange where this ever happens. <laughs> so it's not infeasible that tether could do this wait wait what do you mean by that that they could keep eyes on this one exchange and make sure to match every trade to keep the price at a dollar yeah yeah so yeah there's one yeah one exchange where it's freely traded and but you can get tether on a bunch of other exchanges but not for us dollars uh yeah but for other cryptocurrencies yeah. yeah and that's the proposed way that tether is making use of this is that it seems like tether has plenty of value because you can trade it for other cryptos but it's very hard to turn it back into dollars yeah well i th i think it's not problematic right now because y you can indirectly turn it into dollars um Right, because on any of these exchanges, you can convert Tether to Bitcoin and get the equivalent right. amount of dollars. But it's just at any point, Tether could decide. Um, they could convert all the tethers that they own, in, and the, oh, oh, also another part of it is that I think part of it is they're um, creating massive amounts of new Tether. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and. Yeah, so let's. And they were responsible for yeah, like I think like seventy percent of, uh, um, Bitcoin purchases, uh, something like that. But so they're injecting massive amounts of tether into through these like pretty sk sketchy, um, non-US based uh, exchanges. Um. But yeah, the the issue would be is it would be as if they decided not to uh, honor the dollar ratio at all. Right, they could and at then, any point yeah. just let it fall. 
to zero. And then they, yeah. And then they would have, yeah, a crazy, I mean, they would have, I think, probably hundreds of billions of dollars <laughs> that are not, yeah, not in Tether. Uh, right. In different, like, cryptocurrencies and in dollars. Yeah. And no one could do anything about it, really. Yep. Yeah, there's yeah. no insurance on Tethers. But right now, yeah, they do have, they are tethered to the dollar, you know, uh, practically. So people can get out right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sounds like, yeah. So I think that there's a few things about this article that I think were a little misleading, or at least I didn't take them in the way that he took them. I don't know if he was trying to actively mislead us, obviously. But, um, right, so there's this claim about how so many tethers are being used in the buying and selling of Bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies, right? Yeah. And that is a problem in theory because those tethers might not actually have value. So that's inflating the value of the cryptocurrencies. Yeah. But if tethers value went to zero that wouldn't mean that people would stop trading crypto. They would just use something else to trade. So I don't think it's exactly that Tether is the thing holding up all of that value. I think it's more that Tether is a very convenient way to transfer US dollar uh, tethered value. Huh. Okay. And yeah. <clears throat> if there wasn't Tether, that wouldn't mean that people would stop trading. Yeah, it was that was kind of interesting, yeah, that part. So and I do think that we're in a bubble, right? Well, not really a we're in a rally that is not going to be maintained. So <laughs> it's going to come down in probably like, I don't know, by a month for sure. That's what yeah, happened last time. Yeah, the author was alleging that Tether was responsible for, you know, like 80-90% of the price going up. So I do think that that is wrong. I don't think that's right. I think that the reason that Tether is able to be so lucrative with this is because there's a huge rally in crypto. But I don't think that Tether is causing that rally. And when you draw that, the the correlation he drew, I think he drew the, the causation in the wrong way. I also think it's just a, co- a coincidence that they happened to be investigated right around the time they started doing this <laughs> and right around the time that there was the rally. Yeah, I didn't really, I don't, yeah, totally understand how it could be responsible for, um, yeah, the, the inflation in, in Bitcoin and, and in Ethereum too, like that. Right. Yeah, it's hundreds of billions of dollars of value. I think maybe they are creating a little bit of value out of nowhere. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Which is like the tether that they're issuing that people think is backed up by something, but isn't. Um, so that's like creating money out of nothing. But uh, yeah, that that wouldn't be like hundreds of billions. That would be like. Um, billions at most. Just to yeah. do a bit of comparison on the scale here, I actually I found some numbers. Uh, so just think about the size of these numbers. Um, 
USDT, which is Tether, um, the, the market cap of USDT in October of 2019, or sorry, uh, 2020, which is about when this rally began, was $15 trillion. And then in January... Wait, so wait that's what? That what? was USDT? Uh, in, in October. Um, wait, that's the, all US dollars? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so the market cap is in trillions of US dollars. And then wait, wait. What's the what's the unit, or well, what were wait. you talking about there? <laughs> like, so the website called Coin Market Cap. Yeah, so the current yeah, so fifteen trillion was in October. The, wait, was the market wait, up. what's what's fifteen trillion? Fifteen trillion dollars of what? U.S. dollars. No, but what is oh of all U.S. dollars? But I'm not sure what you're asking. <laughs> what? Wait, can you can you say? completely what uh what you just said the tether market cap is 20 or sorry is 15 trillion us dollars uh in october of 2020 no billion oh oh yeah you're right sorry that is billion <laughs> yeah th that was the confusion okay yeah <laughs> No, yeah, I sorry. thought no, but you said U.S. dollars. I thought you were talking about like the market cap of U.S. dollars, not market cap in U.S. dollars. Oh, like oh. you know, market no, cap yeah. of like all U.S. dollars. That I think that fifteen trillion <laughs> would be in the right, twenty-four <laughs> trillion would be in the right neighborhood. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. I I misplaced a um a, a trill for. Uh, bill yes okay yeah 24 me, billion so let me so, rephrase that wait so let me let me just say what i was going to say originally uh, starting here so the total market cap for usdt tether was 15 billion us dollars 15 billion in us dollars on october in 2020 and in january which is today we're in january early mid-january it is around 23 24 billion in usd yeah so that's like nothing so that's comparison. like an increase of 8 billion uh us dollars in market cap but compare this to the change in bitcoin's market cap so in october of 2020 bitcoin had a 200 billion market cap in usd and in January, the, the same time that I took the, the USDT quote, uh, it is $700 billion USD. So that's yeah. not only a larger 
percentage change for this one's like over three times percent change uh sorry <laughs> over 300 percent change um but it's like orders of magnitude more yeah i i think yeah the bitcoin values yeah maybe a little inflated from i guess maybe the change yeah, I don't know. Um, the value is a little inflated piece of what I was saying before, but uh, yeah, obviously it's it's not it's on a different scale from the tether uh, change. Yeah. So I don't think that this problem with tether would be a good enough reason to exit crypto, which is his result. I think it's probably a wise move anyway <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so he may benefit from that, but I think that it's a problem and. I think it's a very big problem because of how many people are using Tether and familiar with it. So it's like going to raise distrust among crypto users. But I don't think it's nearly the inflationary uh, source that he thinks it is. It's pretty amazing that they're third, they have the third largest market cap uh, already. Yeah. It's, it's so funny because it's so obviously a scam too. Like it's completely antithetical to everything that people will value in crypto. Yeah, reading it, I just, I didn't, like reading the article, I didn't read the white paper for Tether, but yeah, it just didn't make sense why anyone trusted this in the first place. <laughs> I I didn't really I didn't understand it, yeah. Yeah, like, so we were describing how cryptocurrencies work uh, just a few minutes ago, but actually that isn't how cryptocurrencies have to work. Um, cryptocurrencies are often based on blockchains and this decentralized architecture to make sure that you need a certain amount of consensus in order to have things happen. But you can also just have a asset that is secured by some cryptography and then just have a central source that distributes that asset, which is exactly what Tether is. They're the sole people that can mint uh, Tether and they have total discretion about how to mint Tether and when to mint it or whatever to do with it. They can give it to their friends without telling anyone. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, they're like the U.S. government, but worse. Yes, <laughs> they're like the they're the tether treasury um, and minting press, but totally unaccountable in every way. <laughs> There's no elected officials. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. Twenty four billion. Wow. Yeah. So much. So I might be able to explain exactly why Tether gained so much market cap. I suspect it's because it's just very convenient and people don't hold on to Tether for long. They just use it as an intermediary, so they didn't think they were taking much risk by using it. Yeah, <laughs> and they're right until they're not. Right. Yeah. Well, most of the people that have used Tether will be right because they didn't hold on to it for long. But there's just yeah. enough of it out there that people are going to hurt. Some people are. Yeah. Another thing about the article, like, um, it said, like, the way Tether injects their money into the markets was through, like, part of it was through people, like, winning these prizes on, like, sketchy oh, yeah. exchanges. <laughs> but I saw, like, someone share, uh, um, well, I, I think it was linked to the website, but I saw, like, the prizes, and they were, like, pretty small and number they were like five ten dollar prices oh yeah yeah so i didn't so, yeah so that couldn't have been that mechanism 
Yeah, and even those, like, those prizes I don't think are directly from Tether LTD. I think that Tether gives these to exchanges in exchange for, you know, something. And then the exchanges give out these prizes to attract users. But, yeah, but, yeah, I, I just wonder, you know, at what scale they did that at. Hmm. Um, I, yeah. I, also, I also didn't understand why, yeah, how how such a huge proportion of Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, transactions were with Tether. That didn't mm-hmm. make sense to me. Like why that would happen. I guess yeah. it was just really convenient for people. I guess it's just like the default uh, tethered <laughs> uh, the default currency that's stable. Right. Yeah, my guess is just that a lot of exchanges uh, were, I don't want to say pressured, but incentivized by Tether to adopt it as a USD token. And oh, it's I th- convenient yeah. to have one. And, you know, it's the one that everyone else is using. So why not adopt that? I think the, I think the, yeah, the exchanges are in on it. I think they're very happy to take free money, basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, like the established exchanges aren't doing it. It's all these sketchy exchanges anyways. Right. You would, yeah, you would expect them to be it. So it's, you know, Tether gives away. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm sure, you know, uh, exchanges get like a cut of, they get some value. Um, uh-huh. I'm sure that Tether pays them to list their token. Or, or yeah, or, uh, you know, they get, uh, if they get the tokens for free, they, um, they get money from people using their their exchanges um and the people using exchanges get tether right yeah yeah there's uh i mean most exchanges have an exchange fee as well so in addition to the fee for transacting the actual currencies tokens you have to pay the exchange for facilitating the transaction yeah not every exchange does this but most exchanges do i think i mean yeah i mean they make money somehow yeah uh i think some of them charge for margin trading right also yeah. oh yeah <laughs> so in the article he uh relays to us a conversation he had with one of his friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah who uh didn't see anything wrong with getting like how much leverage doing random transactions on some foreign <laughs> exchange <laughs> and was so easily convinced to totally exit <laughs> yeah yeah that story I mean, obviously, it's not verbatim, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it was particularly useful to include in that article. <laughs> it didn't make me feel any more convinced. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I wasn't as as convinced. I mean, this seems really sketchy, but it, yeah, I just I don't get anything about it. But if it is bad, like you know, uh, I should short this somehow. I don't, I don't know of a mechanism, but. Seems like a good opportunity. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't actually know of a good shorting mechanism either. I, they must exist. Uh, I typically don't really do trading though much, so <laughs> I don't really look into that. That's kind of so. Maybe this is something to bring up as well. 
we sort of delineated this uh, conversation into two chapters. One chapter about it being used as a currency, and another chapter use being used as a speculative asset. <laughs> uh-huh. So in this, like on these exchanges, they're not pretending like it's supposed to be money. They're just treating it as if it was a speculative asset. Like there, there's no facade of it being like, oh yeah, you could go buy hamburgers with this someday. It's just like totally meaningless what it could ever be used for. Yeah. And there's well, yeah, a lot so, of people that do that. It's weird. Well, it's like gold is kind of traded in the same way. Yeah. And we're talking about like, you know, bitcoins, transaction times and stuff like that, but gold might be actually might be worse. Like uh you know, it's heavy and you have to carry it around <laughs> and you can get counterfeit gold and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you actually are into doing gold, you probably just have it in some bank and then you just give someone an IOU when you transfer it, like, a, you know, a, a more secure IOU, but you don't actually move the gold around. Yeah, but on Bitcoin, you can do similar things uh, as that. Uh, I mean, yeah. the Bitcoin is literally just the IOU. <laughs> Oh, but it's not as good as, or it's not as fast as like a the bank doing the IOU. Oh, right, but the, yeah, yeah. But the bank could do that on with the Bitcoin in storage, um, same as gold. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, that's true. I'm sure there are some places that do something like that. Doesn't Goldman Sachs hold bitcoins now? Yeah, I, I don't know how how they do it, but. Well, yeah, and you can buy like you can buy Bitcoin on like a normal stock exchange, um, but but that's a little different from transacting Wait, it. You can buy Bitcoin on a like, stock exchange. Oh yeah, it's... on like Robinhood, yeah. Oh, uh, but yeah. but it's not on the stock exchange. It's just in the same app. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah. But I think you can buy like Bitcoin futures on. Oh, okay. So there's like proxies and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, just like with gold. Oh, you could probably short it on there then. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bitcoin, but not not Tether. Oh. But yeah, Jam. I've looked into it a little bit. Yeah, I I I don't have access to anything that good. I think I I don't think I think I don't have access to those futures, but. I think if I got a different broker, mm-hmm. uh, I could, you yeah. A real broker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, so I'm definitely more interested in the actual uses of this as a technology for uh, the currency side of things. Um, it does seem to me to be something that is hard to avoid, though, is like what's going on with the speculation. I think that it's definitely to blame for a lot of, well, I mean, not definitely, it's the thing to blame for the, what is it called? The volatility of the value. Um, But obviously, you can't just get rid of this. Like, people have to be able to trade it on their own. That's like the whole point of it being uh, free from government control and all. 
and uh, also that's one of the problems with tether is that the the government is investigating them because they're like hmm are you just actually printing your own uh us dollars because <laughs> you're not allowed to do that <laughs> yeah well i i think yeah i think it's good that it's being traded in in this way i the volatility is crazy i don't i don't understand that at all it's just insane but yeah, I, th- I think it's, I mean, it's primarily a store of value, basically. So it, it's primarily a commodity and not really a, a currency. If it was valued just as a currency, just as, you know, based on the value that people get from using it to buy things, then it would be valued in like the millions of dollars. So it would be worth like nothing compared to what it's worth. But I, I mean, yeah, I think that's, I think that's my basically my point about bitcoin that it, it mainly is um this uh asset um not a currency it's yeah. it's kind of like gold yeah yeah i i agree that that is the uh the role that it's playing right now i think that it has the potential to become more currency like in the future um or at least derivatives of it something along the lines of a blockchain based cryptocurrency uh, but it definitely is not in that state right now. One of the questions, though... Well, and oh, one yeah. thing is, I mean, volatility is bad uh, for its prospects as a currency. Like, right. you, don't, you don't want the dollar to <laughs> be worth uh, 10 times more or less uh, every other day. Right, exactly. Because if something is very volatile, it's hard for it to serve as a unit of account because it's always changing um, and it, it doesn't yeah it's you don't want to delineate your prices every couple seconds yeah although if people used it widely and it was widely adopted it would it would drive down the volatility well so yeah that's that's kind of one of these things i think that that would happen for two reasons uh the the question being about uh under what conditions would his volatility decrease so uh one thing is that just if many many people use it then there's a ton of uh, liquidity and uh, it is just very hard to make a massive move in terms of percentage uh, for the the price. So obviously one Bitcoin could be changing in like, you know, thousands of dollars of value. Uh, But if you just are dealing with small amounts, then it is a very small percentage change. So it doesn't really matter that much. And dollars uh change in price like if you think of a bitcoin as like uh a a million us dollars all glued together and that's a bitcoin well a million us dollars is going to change in value compared to other currencies uh some amount that is going to be like a large amount of money but if you only are dealing with like you know a couple us dollars that's not that much money but um the other condition i think that's important for it is that once it becomes more widely used and it becomes the unit of account for more things, then the volatility sort of disappears because then everything is priced in terms of Bitcoin. And the volatile things seem to be the things that are not the standard unit of account. So uh, just like with, um, like, let's see, uh, if if... If you have U.S. dollars compared to another country's currency, like, uh, let's say, I don't know, Japanese yen, right? Well, the 
price fluctuates more than you're probably comfortable with. So you wouldn't hold yen as something, or maybe this is a bad example. Is the yen like pegged yeah, to the US dollar yeah, or something? I think, I think you, no, it's not, but I think you picked the worst possible okay. example because, <laughs> the, because the yen is great. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's say the, the, the US dollar versus the euro. Yeah. Literally any other currency. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about well, that. Yeah. <laughs> So it's probably not a great idea to store all your money in euros if you're living in the U.S. because the price of those euros is going to change a lot depending uh, uh, compared to U.S. dollars. Um, but it's fine if you just go over and live in Europe. Having a bunch of euros is going to serve you just fine. And the reason uh, mostly is because the things that you're buying are going to be priced in terms of euros or they're going to be priced in terms of U.S. dollars. So you can imagine yeah. with Bitcoins, well, if everything was just priced in terms of Bitcoins, then Bitcoins wouldn't seem very volatile. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it'll just, yeah, it'll just go up the ranks um, incrementally in, uh, in lacking instability. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think it'll be like the dollar and it doesn't need to be like the dollar at all um, to be way better than what it is now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a lot of room to improve, for sure. Yeah. And I think that as it, more things are uh, offered as services that you can buy for Bitcoins, that's going to be increasing the sort of distribution of where it's used as a unit of account, and it's going to gradually decrease its volatility without any yeah. actual technological changes. Yeah. And, yeah, and just, I mean, of course... Just like, yeah, just uh, if more people buy it, the higher the market cap, um, yeah, the, the lower what you're saying. Uh, I think this will be a really big part. The lower um, individual people can, or individual transactions can affect the price. Right. I think a really cool use would be, and th this was like... <laughs> This is one of the speculative uses that have just been around for forever, but you know, th third world governments and re really uh, all the governments uh, not in the developed world and even a lot of developed countries that, you know, use the dollar heavily as a reserve currency and uh, it, like both the governments and the citizens and it, it would be really great if they could um use something like like bitcoin uh like citizens could uh have like a reliable <laughs> currency um that the government can't just inflate whenever they want to yeah yeah definitely this is <laughs> this is a great point because it's kind of funny how uh, these cryptocurrencies are so popular in these developed countries where there already are perfectly usable currencies <laughs> like the US dollar oh yeah, that are a million times better than Bitcoin. Right. For, yeah. As a currency. Yeah. If I wanted to buy something that I could buy with the US dollar, there's zero reason to buy it with a Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. And it, like, that's, I, you've never done that, I would imagine. Right. <laughs> yeah. You've only bought things in Bitcoin that you could only buy in Bitcoin. Exactly. Right. So there's still, you know, some things that you would want to use Bitcoin for. But if you can use the US dollar for it, US dollars are just way more efficient and easy to use. Uh, but 
the thing is, is that if you don't live in a, a first world country, you live in a country where the money is either controlled by a corrupt gov- government or is just very hard to access, or maybe it's uh, hard to access financial institutions at all, or, you know, <laughs> you're using U.S. dollars and you're totally at the whim of the United States <laughs> Treasury. <laughs> Well, all those things are great incentives to try to get onto a standard that is not ruled by a corrupt government and not centralized in some foreign power that has a lot of control over you. And Bitcoin yeah. can often be something that uh, fills that role. Yeah. I mean, th- historically, there's there's, this, there's like tons of economies that just their entire economy depends on the exchange rate. <laughs> right. It, it's just like whether they can export or not. Yeah, it depends on the exchange rate, and they'll try to manipulate it if they can. But there isn't too much they can do. It's kind of up to the Federal Reserve, basically. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, the dollar is a pretty amazing achievement when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, Just instead of, like, mining, you have, like, the American military (laughs) and, uh, yeah, this massive worldwide government empire basically yeah and that's the way that the u.s dollar is able to be used in this way is because enough people hold it in enough different countries yeah and and trust the stability of the u.s government to some extent right well yeah i mean without it the dollar would not be worth very much very soon oh right yeah yeah but i the government does not seem to be perfectly stable for it to still be a usable uh global currency maybe in the short term yeah because right the the federal reserve can change inflation rates on a whim like they do that all the time but uh that doesn't mean that people are like oh well it's not like a stable inflation rate therefore it's not a usable currency well, that's because it's basically it basically is a stable inflation rate. Like, you know, inflation rates are, you know, extremely low, you know, uh, close to zero for many years. Uh, but if it was different, it would be like I don't one think or two percent. I don't think it would change it that much if the inflation rate had changed more than oh, it did. Uh, it would. I mean, I mean that much. Uh, yeah, it depends on what you mean. Oh yeah, there, there's certainly a margin of acceptability, right? If they just <laughs> printed all the U.S. dollars they could ever want, then right, that would be a problem. Yeah, and people would, if it was inflated even a little bit more, you know, people it would just move people marginally towards um, other assets that don't inflate. Yeah. Uh, maybe I don't know. I still think though that there's there's this intrinsic value to having U.S. dollars since everyone has U.S. dollars already. Oh, but it's it's uh it's just, or maybe that's I mean, not it's... intrinsic value. That's like <laughs> the definition of not intrinsic. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a marginal change that would happen, uh, based on the economics. Like if you're current if your uh one set of assets is um de- being devalued then you would just move some of those assets to a different to something else like gold or whatever whatever or investments or whatever uh, so inflation is 
encourages people to not save. Right. And uh, was there something else you were going with that? That's all. Okay. So Bitcoin is the opposite, though. It's a deflationary, which is often brought up as a good reason why it shouldn't be a currency. Uh, right? Yeah, so the inflation uh, encourages that if you expect that money will be uh, less valuable in the future, then you're more willing to spend it now. And that's good for the economy because when people spend money, it moves money around efficiently and then people, you know, make a living. But if the money is deflationary, then people expect that the money will be worth more in the future. So they'll hold on to it and not spend it. And that's a problem because if no one's spending their money, then uh, <laughs> then no one's getting to earn any money. Yeah. So, yeah, it's more like gold in that sense. But yeah, yeah, this the, I mean, the point you just made about yeah in, inflation, is, uh, yeah, I, part of what um why it's important for the U.S. government to be stable, I think you know like the government is keeping close tabs on how much people are using the currency and if people don't use it enough, uh, they'll inflate it and make sure uh, there's like a reasonable amount in circulation and stuff like that, and that all depends on. You know the central entity being stable. Mm, okay, yeah, I guess then by stable you don't necessarily mean the same. You mean that it's like controlled rationally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I mean that it'll predictably. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I. I mean. Yeah. I think. I think. Uh, we probably agree. On what that means, I mean, like, you know, like the government, the U.S. government isn't going to be overtaken, invaded by Russia or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I see what you're saying more about stable now. I, I interpreted stable at first as just like that. This the the inflation is stable. Oh but, no, yeah, I don't mean that at all. The government is stable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not, if not the value of the currency. If, you know, somehow some group decided to take over the capital, that would probably not be good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, so I think like our military budget and our overseas empire, like all those are all kind of in part investments. It, it mm -hmm. ends up in our currency. So, so yeah, it's like the country has really put a lot into um maintaining something um, yeah that's true very valuable yeah there's a lot of value power behind it yeah it but, used to be like tether we just had the the gold behind it but now we just yeah, printed way more standard <laughs> we didn't match all the the tethers to the gold so uh, <laughs> so now we just enforce it with guns all right <laughs> uh, yeah and we were just criticizing tether for doing literally that <laughs> <laughs> they went off the dollar standard <laughs> yeah exactly of the gold standard yeah maybe they should argue that in their case <laughs> yeah they're just copying nixon all they need is a private army then they'll be fine <laughs> yeah yeah that's true <laughs> feels powerful enough yeah yeah i mean uh so about bitcoin uh, 
Yeah, I don't. I don't really see. I don't think. I think a deflationary currency. Uh, yeah, th- that would discourage spending, but I don't. Yeah, I think I don't think it would exclude it from being used widely as a currency. Hmm. Um, so you don't think that's a good argument against it being a currency? What well, I think it's just not a currency now, but I think it's not. Yeah, I, I think it doesn't preclude it from becoming one. Hmm. Uh, like and like, there have been deflating currencies. Uh, like the yen was deflating for a while relative to the dollar, but you know people still used it rarely. Right. Um, although yeah. people did save more, but that's that's not a uh, it's not. Yeah, that's not a, a terrible thing for the currency. Yeah, I think that that is my perspective as well, is that when you say that it's deflationary, well, it's deflationary uh, compared to something else. So it'll be deflationary compared to some assets, but if it is a unit of account, it doesn't really matter that much that it is deflationary to some extent. Obviously, if it was like hyper-deflationary, that would be a problem, but moderately deflationary isn't a barrier to being used as a currency yeah for like an entire country if that's your only currency like japan then it's bad it can be bad for your economy you know people aren't spending people aren't investing right right uh yeah we're just talking about bitcoin not a country yeah but bitcoin would be like global (laughs) (laughs) and bitcoin does have a mechanism for inflation like mining and making new currency that way. But mm. I guess it's just, yeah, it's not producing anywhere near as much Bitcoin um, as you would need for <laughs> for the, uh, the prices to go down. Right, right. Yeah, so inflation, it's kind of funny. I think that there's like two economic meanings of it on the one hand inflation is the amount of money that you're printing on the other hand inflation is the uh increase of prices yeah of goods you can get with money right so you might think or you might say that uh bitcoin is or deflationary would be the opposite of these but in one or both ways yeah and typically they go together, but not always. For example, uh, we are printing lots of money right now, but uh, for rent prices and prices of goods have not increased in correspondence to that. Uh, in the U.S.? Yeah. Oh, wait. But they are increasing. Wait, what time span do you mean? Like the last year. Oh. I'm talking about like the recent inflation in form of stimulus. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, inflation has been pretty consistent for a long time. It's like, I think it's like one to two percent. Yeah, overall. Uh, in the price of goods. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. But, right. But yeah. the price of that inflation is different from the money supply. Yeah. You, you also talk about yeah, inflating the money supply. Yeah, which is different. Yeah. 
So what Bitcoin does differently from the Fed is that it doesn't have any, uh, well, it doesn't have any explicit mechanism for changing the quote-unquote inflation rate. Yeah, and it just... What? Uh, yeah, it has, yeah, it not an explicit mechanism, but it has just, there's a natural rate um, that comes yeah. about. So there, it was pre-programmed from the beginning that there's a max, like there's a total number of Bitcoins that will ever be mined. And then it defines a curve that is the rate of Bitcoin mining over time. So this curve, uh, I, for, I think it's logarithmic. So it won't ever approach zero, but it'll just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's always inflating, but inflating the supply, but by less and less. Yeah. And sorry, I think I said logarithmic, but I meant exponential. Yeah, because logarithmic is monotonic. Right. So it will uh, eventually basically be a zero uh, in, uh, inflation rate and or not inflation rate, but mining rate. Yeah. The same as printing currency. So. The prediction is that since we will still be expanding our economy, well, we need more money. And if the money is not being made, then there's going to be deflation in prices. Uh, relative to Bitcoin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. And that's a problem. Because that yeah. means that the, the currency price is going up over time compared to uh, goods. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not clear on, on this. Yeah, I think because even though I, I said, yeah, that fact doesn't preclude Bitcoin from becoming a currency, I, I, I also think Bitcoin it isn't likely to become a currency. <laughs> well, right, yeah. I think we have to assume that before answering the question. But for other, yeah, but not, yeah, for, I think for other reasons like that we've talked about. Um, but yeah, I guess deflation would just add on to that, to those reasons. Um, yeah, it's hard to get people to widely spend something that's uh, inflating in value. Right. Yeah, I, so I think that this is not a short-term problem, but it is a long-term problem. Well, short term, it's not even like a problem that you get to have because people aren't spending it anyways and wouldn't oh, spend yeah. it anyways. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's already got that result for different reasons <laughs> because of speculation. Yeah. Well, is it even a problem? Is isn't it? It's just kind of how it is, right? <laughs> I uh, guess if you want a currency, then it is a problem, right? Yeah. That's what I mean. It's a problem relative to wanting it to be a currency. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's just, it'll be like a cool form of gold. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And I think that we're yet to see the form of cryptocurrency that will actually serve as a good currency. Oh. That's 
That's, that's too bad. <laughs> but I think that there's some things that these cryptocurrencies do that are not quite enough to be full-scale currencies, but can be useful for more specific tasks. For example, I think Ethereum illustrates this very well in the ability to basically just buy computation on this giant network and have it run autonomously without anyone being able to interfere with it. That is a very useful uh, service, and it's powered by this cryptocurrency. The cryptocurrency isn't really a currency for currency in general. It's like a currency just for the system. It's like a token just for the system. Oh, for what system? For the Ethereum uh, computer. So you, you need to buy the Ethereum in order to buy uh, computation time. Yeah. And that's what, not a, I wouldn't say it's only use, but it's like it's best unique use. And that's yeah. what it offers. That's like the innovation behind it. Yeah. So I could see uh, these sorts of things being useful, and then it's it's not really a a general currency. It's more like a micro currency or a yeah. local currency. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, I, I wish. Uh, it, it seems really cool. I wish there were some good applications already. But <laughs> like, I use I looked at the prediction market recently. And it just doesn't work. Like, <laughs> uh, I think they have some games, but. Augur? Yeah. Oh, is it not up yet? It's up, but it just isn't like it's just crappy. <laughs> I couldn't get it to work. It didn't huh. load and Oh. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a problem. I know that that project has been in the works for a while, so that's weird that their website didn't work. But uh yeah, there were... <laughs> have you heard of Crypto Kitties? <laughs> uh probably like just like a game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of those, yeah. Yeah, the applications so far have been uh or at least the ones that actually gain traction are a little underwhelming. Yeah, n- yeah, they're not much so far. No. I am pretty optimistic though. Still because mm-hmm. these are still the super early days of these being used for much of anything at all. So I wouldn't yeah. have expected there to be the killer application necessarily yet, but definitely within the next decade. <laughs> yeah, that that would be cool. Yeah. And you, I mean, you could make the next, the, the killer application. It's wide open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually... Um, I have an internship this summer with a company that does stuff for some blockchain related companies. Oh, wow. Wow. I don't know. Yes. So we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. I, so I guess, um, I, I had, uh, the question um, that I proposed before we recorded, but just like where do we see, th- yeah, yeah, where do we see the value of uh, Bitcoin going? 
And I, I think, yeah, I mean, our, I think our discussion has pointed us towards some numbers, basically. Mm-hmm. Even I know you, <laughs> you might have had some objections to making the predictions, but yeah, if uh, if Bitcoin resembles gold more than like the U.S. dollar, then I think that puts a much lower cap, but it's still a massive cap. So. Like the numbers, there were different numbers about like the total value of of gold in the world, but it was like the minimum was like 13 trillion, but then it could be a lot more gold that people are, that just uh, people have stored and that isn't known, widely known, but Uh it was like minimum 13 trillion basically. And Bitcoin is at 600 billion total. So yeah, even if... So if it becomes, you know, like a crappier or smaller version of gold, <laughs> it could still be worth like, you know, 10 times what, what it's worth now. Uh, what sort of timeline are you putting on that? Uh, like in the next year? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, like, I don't, I don't know, five or ten years. But, I mean, that isn't, yeah, that's just uh, one scenario, I guess, uh, if it continues to be used as basically gold. Uh, yeah, if it's used as a currency more widely, then... Um, yeah, m- maybe the value could be a lot more I, definitely like like when people first uh thought about bitcoin i think the aspiration was way higher than just gold and th- that would imply like a way higher valuation as well true yeah hmm okay i think i am a little bit more bullish than you on the price i think that the price will be uh, definitely higher than it is now, eventually, within the next 10 years. Uh, and the market cap will definitely be much, much bigger. I wouldn't be surprised if it, like, what did you say the market cap of gold was? How many trillion? Like 13 trillion minimum. 13. Hmm. Yeah, I think it would, I would predict that it would surpass the market cap of gold. I think that my reasoning for that is that it'll find some uses around the world for things that are just pretty disjoint but still useful overall and it does provide a very important service of being able to send lots of money very quickly in a very insecure like with untrusted people so i think it'll be used uh for some applications like that I don't think that in the long term, though, I would expect it to get any higher than basically around gold, maybe a little, like a little bit higher than gold. Because, like I said before, I think that we haven't yet seen the cryptocurrency that will be actually be used as a currency. And once that's around, then the only thing that Bitcoin has going for it really is that it's a large network. <laughs> okay. Huh. 
Yeah, we, we should write down. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back to this in 10 years and see how yeah, we're doing. <laughs> we'll, we'll put in the episode description. But yeah, I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't made. I'll, 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 I'll have to settle on a number then. What, what the, about the, five years? Huh? What about uh, a five year uh, prices? Uh, I don't know. I, I think that the thing is, is that I could say easily shifting massively within a year. So I wouldn't want to pinpoint it at a time five years from now. But on the average over like, you know, a span of a year. I think it would probably be higher than it is now. Yeah. <laughs> higher than it is now. The price, right. Wait, in a year? In five years, you said. Oh, in five? Oh, higher. Okay, that is, that's pretty bearish. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely bearish on it. <laughs> I don't think it's a way to make, like, unless you kind of are doing some uh, some nifty tricks I don't think it's a way to make a lot of money by being uh, like, you know, put all of your money into it, invest in it instead of the stock market. But Oh, but so far it has been. I mean, insanely. Depending on when you sell it, right? <laughs> oh, well, just holding it. I mean, if, if you've just held it and bought it basically any time in uh, history. I mean, if you bought it last year, or not last year, sorry. But if you bought it in 2016 or so, it's about the same price as it was back then. Yeah, it's a little higher now, but yeah, a little higher. Uh, yeah, I guess yeah. You're assuming that it'll crash. I think it's going to go down definitely again. Like it's not just going to go up from here, but uh, I don't think it's going to be going down on average overall. Like over the span of, if you take a year and average the price over your span of a year, I don't think that's going to go down. Hmm. Okay. Oh, so, so you think it's just going to wait? You think within the span from like five to 10 years, it's going to go up a ton then? Uh, overall, yeah. I think it's going to be up and down, but on a trend upward. Hmm. like a big up and down like uh basically the, tr- the the pattern that we've seen so far is that it like reaches a new height that's like uh 10x what it was the previous couple months and then there's a slow slope downward after that for like a couple years and then there's another spike that's even higher than the last one and then another slow release that's my prediction uh, I I feel like the volatility is going to go down, but it'll be much lower in five years. And pretty oh, so in five time. years, you predict it'll be a lower average price than it is now. No, no, no. Volatility is going to be way down. Oh, just just lower volatility. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. I just I don't think I, I don't think that affects my calculation. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I. 
Uh, it's yeah, it's so volatile. It's so it's kind of bizarre. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll just say yeah, I'll say two trillion in five years, and then. Oh really? Wow. Okay. Wait, that's your prediction, or are you saying that's my prediction? Mine. Mine. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Two trillion uh, market cap. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it could I think it could easily do that, but it's just it could also be way higher or lower, I think. <laughs> yes, yeah. that is that is how this works. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I, I'm not gonna yeah, I don't I'm not gonna do ten years. I think that's yeah. There's just so many things that could happen in the meantime that making a prediction would have to say, like, depending on all these other things, this is my prediction. Yeah. Like, if we have a World War Three, probably going to be a higher price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's... You have to... But you have to calculate, like, the most likely average scenario. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, though, is that once you go far enough, there's like such a variety of outcomes that the average isn't really representative anymore of like what you expect. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. So, but yeah. Um, uh, like, for example, maybe in all but one possible world, the price of Bitcoin or like the the market cap is two trillion, but in one world. It's like 50 million trillion. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's going to make the average much different, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I think. Yeah, five years feels more tangible. Um, It seems like, yeah, the COVID stuff has helped Bitcoin's (laughs) prices a lot. It's gone up a lot in this time frame. That's true. I don't know what it has to do with COVID exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's just a matter instability in general. Yeah, exactly. Just in, general instability and then lots of stimulus. Yeah. I mean, other than like you know the peak a few years back, Bitcoin has it's been like a really good investment. Like uh, it was at the beginning of the year. It was eight thousand. Now it's thirty six. Yep. Yeah. The stock market's been a great investment too. <laughs> yeah, but not you know. Even during the COVID not, pandemic. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but not not four times better. It's like I don't know twenty percent. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay, I'll and then yours was like in five years it'll be similar to now to today. What? No, I, I wait, the, the right. market cap or the price would be similar to now? Both. No. No, I thought it was gonna be higher for sure. Oh, in five years? Yeah. Oh, what uh how high? Um, let's see. So it's at like 35,000 now. Um, uh, I can see it getting up to like 
60 or 70,000 for Wait, sure. Uh, uh, I mean, the price, the market cap is more meaningful. Okay. Um, and the same, like, maybe, like, let's see. It's like 600 billion now. Right. Yeah, I could see it getting up to like maybe three trillion. Three trillion. Oh, okay. Hmm. Two to three trillion. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what you were saying too, right? Two trillion. Yeah. You ever yeah, take I- a trillion? <laughs> Definitely more than one trillion, for sure. Wait, two give or take, or three give or take? <laughs> no, I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we have. Yeah, we have. I mean, we have very similar estimates. In the five-year run, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel like this. Yeah, is something that could be wildly off. <laughs> yeah, it could go up so much or go down so much. Yeah, we should put some confidence intervals on this. So. No, it would just be crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, without the confidence intervals, it's kind of useless information, right? <laughs> uh, well. No, it's something that's, uh... but yeah, implied confidence interval is massive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that implication. Yeah, I'd give it more than 50% chance. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that'll be true in five years. Yeah. And given that information and belief, I don't change my actions at all. <laughs> I'm doing exactly what I think I should. You're selling your Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, I already uh, transferred it. Yeah, in exchange it for this Dai token, which yeah. is like Tether, except it's better in every way. <laughs> but it's almost the same as just having dollars. <laughs> Yes, but you don't have to pay the fee for turning it into dollars. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about Coinbase. I can see why people want to go onto these foreign exchanges where uh, it's things are much cheaper and easier to do. Uh, but if you're using, for example, Coinbase, uh, it's much more expensive, for example, to convert US dollars into uh, Bitcoins. Yeah, I don't like the fee. It's like a 5% fee or something, right? Yeah, it's pretty large. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I use Robinhood to get Bitcoin usually if I'm not going to use the Bitcoin to buy something because it's free uh, transaction cost. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I I think it's kind of unique, actually. Yeah. I haven't seen. Can you send your Bitcoin to other people? No, no. That's that's why I only oh. use it if I'm not going to use the Bitcoin. Okay. But, but you're buying, yeah, just the uh, direct uh, representation of the asset. Okay. It's not 
it's not like a feature or something. It's like a, it's like a Bitcoin token token. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how it works, but I I assume Robinhood <laughs> is heavily regulated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they faced the wrath in the past, right? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know much about how Robinhood handles Bitcoin, but that makes a lot of sense that they don't let you actually trade the Bitcoins. They just let you uh, buy the tokenization of it. It's kind of like you can buy gold on the stock market too, the the gold token. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you can trade on Bitcoin on Robinhood. Yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I assume. Yeah, that's what you do if you really don't believe in Bitcoin being a currency. <laughs> <laughs> so you just buy a tokenization of it yeah 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 exactly <laughs> which is totally compatible with your beliefs yeah yeah and i like that it's like very secure like if i put it in a random wallet like odds it's highly likely i'm gonna lose it <laughs> like either i forget most likely, you know, I forget like the keys or lose the keys or something, or like my laptop breaks or something like that. Yeah. Uh huh. Right. I mean, I use. I definitely have Bitcoin stranded in different wallets. Not not a lot, but few. Oh really? Oh no. I mean, unless you use the entire amount, you know, you'll have some left over in your wallets. Uh yes, but it's hard to use the precise you know entire amount right right but you don't want to lose access to those wallets <laughs> yeah but i'm i mean i, I don't go back to my old wallets <laughs> i'm you know there's no reason to uh, for me well i guess it depends on how much was it just like sense not a lot but not a lot of money also like from you know 2016 is a decent amount now <laughs> true <laughs> yeah i guess that's the the cost being business <laughs> i use uh bitcoin or sorry coinbase and it works pretty well it's uh it's even insured and you don't have to manage your own keys um it's easy enough to withdraw whenever you want or to send it to other people you basically control it as if it was your wallet, but it's not your wallet. Yeah, yeah, I've used it too. Yeah, the fees are just the only thing not good about it. Oh, yeah. But it's it, really good otherwise. It's very bad if you're using it as, like, an exchange, but it isn't supposed to be exchange an exchange. So I think that if you don't use it as an exchange, it works great. If you use it as an exchange, it's inhorbently expensive. Yeah, if you're... Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, it, okay, in 2016, also, um, it was around, like, you know, $300 to $400, uh, mainly. So, you know, if you have $15 stranded somewhere, <laughs> that's, uh, what, more than $2,000. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> $15, yeah. That's a lot of... Yeah, a lot of people, probably. Yeah, wow. 
Okay, I think with our predictions, I think this ends the episode. Cool. Alright, I'm ending. <laughs>